Habakkuk chapter 2, the Old Testament book, Habakkuk. As you turn there, you find it in the Minor Prophets. You find Amos, Micah, Nahum. And then you have three chapters of Habakkuk. We'll be in chapter 2, verse 1. As we covered chapter 1 last time that we looked at this short study that we are doing. And as we opened up this short prophetic book of the Old Testament, the prophet raised a concern, as you remember. It was more of a complaint, as we saw last week in chapter 1, that, oh, Lord, he, he, how long shall I cry to you and you will not hear? And in 609 B.C., about four years before the Babylonian captivity would take place, the Babylonians, the world-dominating power, uh, would come in, and they would uh, take the people away captive. And, and so here is, before that time, Judah had refused to turn from their idol worship, and a contemporary of Habakkuk was Jeremiah. You probably have heard of him, even read his book, one of the books of the major prophets. He's on the scene there in Jerusalem. He's speaking to the leaders, of uh, the civil and religious leaders of the nation. He's telling them, you need to turn back to the Lord. And we talked about that in great detail as we traveled through chapter 1. And here the prophet, he's wondering, Lord, why aren't you working? Where are you? The people are far from you, and you need to do something. And the Lord responded in the first chapter by saying that, listen, I, I know that. I see what has taken place, and I'm going to work a work in your days. And know this, that whatever is ahead for us in the days ahead, that God is working. He's working a work in our day. And he said here that, to the prophet that I'm going to use the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. And so Habakkuk, then as he goes from wondering, at the end of the chapter, he's really wrestling. How can you allow the Chaldeans to bring judgment? They're more wicked than we are. They slay nations without pity. And there are those times and seasons in our lives that we can go through wondering and we end up in a place of wrestling. Not only is the things that we see going on around us, but the things that happen to us. And we can say, Lord, don't you see? Lord, don't you care? What is it that you are doing? And Lord, why aren't you working in this way at this time? Or I sense that you don't care. Or you're not in control. And I think that perhaps a lot of us have gone through that process. And as we move into chapter 2 here, we see what the prophet does. And it is a very important word for us in the day in which we are in. What to do when we're wondering, when we're wrestling? What do we do? We do what the prophet does, and that is we are to wait and watch. So let's begin to look at that in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 1, that the prophet says that I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. After wondering and wrestling, he begins to watch and wait. He doesn't demand. He's not pouting. He doesn't say, God, I don't like what you are doing. And I'm angry, so I'm not going to seek you. And I have talked to many of Christians over the years, and perhaps you have as well, to those that you know that are linked to you in your life, in their wondering or perhaps in their wrestling, in their complaint to the Lord. They say, I'm going to respond in this way. I'm not going to, to seek you, Lord. I'm going to quit seeking you, Lord. I'm not going to pray to you anymore. Uh, I'm not going to be seeking your word. 
I'm not going to go to church anymore. Forget it. Because they stopped trusting the Lord. And they're leaning on their own understanding. And I think that a lot of us that are older, we know that as we go through life, there are things that happen that we don't have an understanding. But we can fall back into things that we can't understand. And that is what God's word declares, his promises to us. And I know that in the trials and losses and disappointments or in the confusion that is around us, that it is hard and we do wonder and it can hurt. And we say, how come? And I don't understand. But it is a time that we learn from the prophet here to draw close to the Lord. It's not a time to, to fall away from the Lord. That we're to wait on the Lord, not pull away from him. And the enemy will come along and whisper in your ear that God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. If he did, you wouldn't be going through the trial or difficulty that is happening. Or the world wouldn't be falling apart like it is. Uh, There are those of the world that will come along. And they will say that, how can a loving God allow this to happen? And your God is not real. And if he was real, you wouldn't be going through the trials that you're going through. You wouldn't be suffering or hurting in the way that you are. And that's what the world says to us. The enemy will whisper in our ear. And I've heard some Christians even come to the point where they say, I'm not going to believe in God anymore. And I want to encourage all of us here this morning that in your wondering and in your wrestling, please go to the place of waiting and watching. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah is writing to those who are taken off into captivity. They're wondering, Lord, do you see us? Do you even care about us? Do we have a future? And he says, you write him a letter and tell him that I know my thoughts towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. They give you a future and a hope. Listen, he's our future. He is our hope. And he goes on to say that the Lord, that you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. In other words, when you seek the Lord, he's going to minister to you. He's going to minister to me. But we are to wait on him. And that is something in our spiritual walk and life that can be very hard to do. But it's important for us to learn. And in the time of confusion or in the time of need or we need direction or hurting, in the time of wondering and wrestling, always remember this, you go to him. And we need to all learn to wait on him. And you've heard me refer to this in Isaiah chapter 30. Again, the children of Israel, the nation was in a terrible, terrible time. They were about ready to be taken over by the Assyrians. They're looking for counsel to Egypt, which is a picture of the world. And the Lord said, woe to you who seek counsel, but not of me. Why are you going to Pharaoh? His wisdom isn't going to help you. The fast Arabian horses aren't going to get you out of this problem. And he goes on and he says, In returning and rest you shall be saved. That is, you go to him. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And blessed are all those who wait for him. And then you will hear from him a word in your ear saying, This is the way, walk in it. You see, so often we want to go to him and then uh, we want to hear from him like right now. Lord, you deal with this. I want you working in this way and this time, and and we don't wait. And I want to read to you from the book of Lamentations, written by Jeremiah when Jerusalem was destroyed. I'll I'll read it to you. It's a little book after the book of Jeremiah in chapter 3. You may be familiar with these verses that I'm going to read. Again, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But listen, 
As the prophet writes this, that this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Always remember, there's always hope in the Lord. And through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed, but his compassion fails not. We have the compassion of the Lord that doesn't fail. And they are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. We have the faithfulness of the Lord. And the Lord is my portion. He's my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. And the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And as I've mentioned to you, Jeremiah was a contemporary of the prophet Habakkuk, and when Jerusalem was being destroyed by the Babylonians, just leveled, Jeremiah writes this lament, Lamentations. He's weeping over the city. Uh, the book of Lamentation reads like a, a funeral for a city that's been destroyed. And Jeremiah, as he looks at it, and he's overwhelmed, and he's wondering, and, and trying to, to, to find comfort, he he moves away from the lament, and here he writes that God is our hope. I have hope in God. And it reflects on the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the compassion of God that is new every morning when I wake up. That means this morning as we're in this place. And he writes that the Lord is my portion. He did not say that the Lord gives us a portion but he is personally my portion. And listen, a real key in life, in our Christian journey and walk, he doesn't just give us a portion, he is our portion. He isn't just what he, he gives to you, but who he is for you. He isn't just added to your life. He is your life. He is what I need and what you need in our hour of wondering, not just something from him. And I know his word declares that he is good to those who wait on him and the one who seeks him. His goodness will be found as we wait on him. Do you believe that? And his word is true for us. And we live in a world that doesn't like to wait. We become so impatient. Instant communication, instant food, instant, you know, everything. If you just get this app, you can have instant credit in just five minutes, you know, is what the commercial says. And then we carry that into our spiritual lives. And we need to learn to be patient and wait on the Lord and wait to see what he's going to say and get into our place, our tower, the quiet place, and seek him and seek his word. And listen, if you're overwhelmed this week, again, maybe because of what's happening to you or the things going on around us, that you get away. And take your Bible and seek the Lord and read the Psalms and look to him to bring comfort to you, to minister to your heart, to build you up and to strengthen you. And then as we continue in chapter 2 here, that the Lord answered me and said in verse 2, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul, verse 4, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The Lord answers. It says, write it down. It's for an appointed time. It will come to pass, and it's interesting how it reads in verse 2, that he may run who reads it. 
Write down the vision that the person who comes by can read it easily. Listen, this is important. We can miss verses like this. I want to ask you a question, all of us, in the honesty of our hearts. What do people read when they run by your life? What do people see when they look at your life? What is it that they're reading? And what you say in your conduct, in your behavior, in your faith, in your love, in your purity, what is it that they look at as they come by your life? And they will perceive what your life is all about by your works and by your actions. They're not going to see perfection in none of us. But do they see something of the Lord that's being worked out in our lives, that our faith is real, that we're different than the world, in the speech that we give, in, in our conduct and behavior, and those things that we're to be an example of? Or are they seeing something of the world? Do they see that you're no different than the world? Do they see something that is of contradictory to the way that the Lord would have you to live? And listen, if the Lord is convicting you of something today, go to him, repent of it, and say, Lord, help me to be a light to others. This world is getting darker. I don't need to tell you that. It's getting more confusing, and the world needs to see light, and that light comes from you because you have the light of Jesus Christ in you. And light is seen. Light is seen, and do they see something of the Lord in you and the way that you live your life and the words that you speak? in your faith, and those things that tell others of the reality of Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, I don't know what it is that I'm about. This is what all of us are to do, that you set a watch, you and I, get to your quiet place, get to your rampart, to your tower, seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, help me to have a vision of what I am to be about, to be used in these days that I am in, because the people around you, they do need to see that, and you can be a witness to them in that. You know, one famous commentator, I can't remember who it is. I'll remember it when we finish service. He said, be sure that you're a witness to others, and if possible, use words. If necessary, use words. In other words, you're going to be witness in the way that you live your life. So as people run by your life, what is it that they're seeing? Now, some think that verse 2 is saying, write the vision and what, make it plain, that he who reads it can run with it. And I like that, that we can make it plain as we share the gospel, the word of God. As I said last week, there's power in the gospel, there's power in the word of God, that they might run well. And then in verse 3, I'm giving you a vision, Habakkuk, and it will come to pass in due time. And moving into verse 4 again, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him. And the Lord is going to tell the prophet that he knew all about the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. They're proud. Their soul is not right. And God will, in the following verses, as you read the rest of the chapter, tell the prophet how that he's going to deal with the Babylonians. They're not getting away with anything. Always remember this, that people aren't getting away with anything. As we talked about Asaph, who really struggled about the, the one who does harm to others and violence and injustice and is very ungodly. It just seems like they're getting away. And the Lord said, no, they're not getting away with it. No one's getting away with anything. So they're not getting away with it. Their soul is not right. 
and I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, if you read the book of Daniels or you've been with us in our study of Daniel, he was the most powerful man at this time in the face of the earth. He's the king of, of Babylon, had absolute rule, never seen before. Whatever he said was law. If he gave a law a command, it was law. There was no challenging it. And if he changed his mind five minutes later, then that became law. And we see it, that he would do that in the book of, of Daniel. That everybody's going to bow down to this statue. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. We're not going to do that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. He got angry. He threw them into the fire. They weren't burnt. He said, how many men did we throw in there? Three. Well, I see four, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. And then he changed his mind. He said, now everybody's got to, to worship, you know, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he's a good fireman. He saved them. He didn't say, he said, your God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did not say, my God. If you made him angry, he'd chop you up in pieces. He stood there in Daniel chapter 4, looking over the city and said, look at this wonderful city I have built. And we read in that chapter how God humbled him, and he went insane for seven years. And after that insanity, he comes out, and he writes his testimony. You can read about it in chapter 4 of Daniel again. And he writes, I, Nebuchadnezzar, give praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. And then the Lord goes on to say, as we get back to our text here, underline this. But the just shall live by his faith. Contrast the, the proud. There are those who will live. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk, the Babylonians, is a proud people. They're puffed up. But the just shall live by faith. And we know that this verse then becomes, as Paul borrows it, as a theme for the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for the just shall live by faith. And, of course, it becomes a theme in the book of Galatians. As Paul there, he writes about that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, for the just shall live by faith. We know it is also used, the writer of Hebrews, if that was Paul, in chapter 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith. And then the writer goes on in chapter 11, naming those who live by faith, called the hall of faith. So in the book of Romans, the emphasis of this verse is the just. In the book of Galatians, the emphasis of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, is to live. In the book of Hebrews, the emphasis is faith. Some of you who perhaps that you've heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer, if you've read his autobiography, <clears throat> he was born in 1483 in Germany. In 1504, right after he had received his master's degree, there was an event that happened that changed his life. Martin Luther was walking outside the campus. He had a friend with him, and suddenly this this severe thunderstorm broke out and, and the lightning was striking all around the thunder was very very loud deafening and it began to rain and in the downpour it forced martin luther and his friend to seek shelter underneath a tree now that wasn't the the best course of action at all for them to take in this thunderstorm 
Well, what happened was a blast of lightning hit the tree above them. The tree caught on fire. There are some historians that write that Martin Luther's friend was killed, but the blast would knock him on his face. He's very terrified, half-blinded. He begins to cry out to St. Anne. St. Anne was the patron saint of coal miners. And since his dad was a coal miner, he had heard her name evoked often. So Martin Luther, he cries out, saying, Anne, save me, save me, and I will give up my studies. Saint Anne, save me, and I'll do anything. I'll even become a monk. And shortly after he said that, the storm passed, the rain stopped, the lightning and the thunder, and Martin, being a man of his word, withdrew from his studies in law, and he ended up entering into an Augustinian monastery. And as he did that, he applied himself so diligently, he was a brilliant man, that he obtained his doctrine of theology within a few years there at the University of Wittenberg. But as he was studying, he ended up becoming a theologian, but he was troubled in his heart because he did not take the word of God and apply it in his life and in his heart. He was becoming an expert in theology, but he lacked peace within his heart personally. And the question that he would write over and over again in his diary was, how can a man find favor with God? He wanted to have that peace, but he couldn't find it. He was in agony in his soul. So what he began to do is he began to live a very exceedingly pious lifestyle. He would fast for many days, 10 to 15 days at a time. Even when temperatures dropped to, to, to around freezing, he would, like this morning, he would sleep outside on the ground without a blanket or at least be trying to sleep. He would beat his body between studies with the whip until he was black and blue and even bleeding, hoping that somehow he would punish his flesh and, and that would rid of any impure thoughts that he might have or impure motives that he knew not to be right. He went to confession so many times a day that finally the father superior at the monastery said, Martin, you either go out and commit a sin worth confessing or stop coming here so often. He was so introspective. He was trying to work so hard in finding favor with God. He was plagued by what he knew of his own sinfulness. I'm going to whip myself, fasting, praying, confessing. He did everything possible to gain peace with this God whom he knew to be a righteous, holy, and awesome God. He decides in 1509, I'm going to make a pilgrimage to, to Rome, hoping to find this peace for which he longed for in his heart. So he makes an 800-mile trip over the mountain passes of the snow-covered Alps of, of uh, Rome to Rome. And Martin, when he got there to Rome, he was very excited about reaching the holy city. But over time, a short time, his exuberance soon turned to despair, despondency. Everywhere he looked, Martin found the church to be rotten, very corrupt. And he was careful to visit all the shrines that were there with their holy relics, which had uh, been told that as you do that, and he was taught, it would do so much for your soul. The most important relic was at the Church of St. John. 
And inside the church, there was a stairway. These stairs were believed to have been the same ones Jesus Christ climbed to stand before Pontius Pilate after he was scourged. They taught that miraculously the stairway was transported from Jerusalem to Rome. The stairs would be adorned with glass mosaics marking the drops of blood which had supposedly fallen from the back of Jesus. So worshipers would come, penitents, made their pilgrimage to St. John's. And what they would do is they would climb the stairs on their hands and on their knees, and they would beat themselves. They would whip themselves, and they would stop to kiss each of the mosaics. And Martin Luther was doing just that. He's whipping himself. He's climbing the stairs on his knees, trying to gain favor, trying to make an impression, trying to get the attention of God. And when he reached the top of the stairs, he was in such turmoil that he cried out, Who can be just? He went back to Wittenberg. He wrote in his diary that he was in such anguish as no pen can describe. I have known Christians, and maybe there are some here today, that they spend their lives trying to gain the approval of God through performance. If I read my Bible this many hours a day, or if I pray this many hours, or I do these works, I dress this way, I I do these things, they do it because they're trying to get the approval of God. Listen, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have his approval. Will you remember that? Because the just shall live by faith. And there are those who are trying to gain God's approval and love when they don't understand that they have it, and you are adopted son and daughter of the living God who can cry out, Abba, Father. And if you ever question the love of God, look to the cross of Calvary where he died for you. He went to the cross to die for you because of his love for you. And many of you, you know the story of Martin Luther where he was in his office and he read this passage that he read before, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. Reading the book of Romans, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And he realized he'd been wrong all those years, that God wasn't cruel and harsh at all. He finally realized that God sent Jesus Christ to make us holy, that he was punished in our place by going to the cross, the one who is righteous took our punishment upon himself. And of course, he went on to explore the revolutionary idea of justification by faith, and he wrote continually and, and, you know, very much in detail about it. He would nail the famous 95 thesis on the door of the Wittenwood Castle Church. The just shall live Not by whipping. Not by crawling on my hands and knees. Not by all these things to gain God's approval. The just shall live by faith. Trust him. And remember in a Colossian study that we were told, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. How did you receive him? By faith, right? Continue in faith. And you see, we read our Bibles and we pray and we get to come to church and be in fellowship. We get to serve him and live for him. We get to do it. 
Not that we got to do it. Big difference. I've got to do it so I can get God's approval. You have his approval. And because we have his approval, and he lives in our hearts, and we are a light for others to see in this newness of life, we get to live for him in that newness. We don't continue in sin that grace may abound. No, we're dead to that stuff. We're free from it. We're out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And we know of his love that is for us. And the just, and that means for you and for me, shall live by faith. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these four verses that are very powerful. And, Lord, I do pray that as as we consider this, that it would just free us from trying to, to live our Christian life in performance rather than by faith. Lord, you have called us to holiness. You've called us to righteousness. Because you freed us from sin. Sin's just going to wipe anyone out, do a sin. It's going to hurt us. But every commandment that you give to us is the expression of your love. We don't have to live in deception. We don't have to live in bondage, but to be free to live for you. And I pray if there's anyone that's here that you're trying to gain approval by works or performance that you would accept that he loves you he's forgiven you and you continue in faith and you will do more in love and in faith than you ever do in trying to earn God's approval that you already have Lord I thank you for your forgiveness but I also pray for those who may be here saying I'm not living the way that I should that you give them that conviction not to push them away, but that they may be drawn to you. Because you want us to experience that abundant life, to be free from sin and deception, to live a life in the newness that you have for us. And I also want to pray for anyone who is here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation. Listen, get right with God. We're in the last days. We're rushing towards eternity. Tomorrow's in promise to any of us. And the invitation is always for you to come. He is your salvation. He died for you because of his love for you. And he rose again. So you can cry out right now sincerely in your heart and say, Jesus, I come to you. I turn away from the way I'm living and going. And I turn to you. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you're alive. You rose again. And I come in faith. Help me to live by faith, to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you